Good morning, church. Welcome. And uh, if you're a regular attender or member, thank you for coming. Just want to thank you for, for supporting us over, over the last two years. And uh, just being faithful and, and, and sharing of your time and talents. And everybody is wearing multiple hats. It's so I'm grateful to come to church each week to see everybody pulling together to make this work. And today we're, uh, we're continuing in Matthew. And here at Trinity, we believe in expositional preaching, going through the passage, throwing through the book, one passage at a time, which gives us a clear image of what the original author, uh, what the original hearers would have heard and how it applies to us today. So if you could, we're going to open up Matthew 10 verses 16 through 25 and we'll start there so before we get started we'll just take a look if you remember over the last couple weeks we've been talking through we finished up the sermon on the mount we're continuing in the book of Matthew and here we come the second discourse of the five and this one is called the missionary discourse and this passage is called that because Jesus has just named and commissioned his disciples to be sent out This is continuing ultimately to the sermon, I'm sorry, the Great Commission where he sends us all out. But in this particular passage, he's getting ready and tell them what they can expect for kingdom service. In the second half of chapter 10, which we're getting to today, he establishes his expectations for that kingdom service, commanding them to spread the good news of the gospel to those that haven't heard or those who haven't responded to it. And we'll see that Jesus promises these people long lives, prosperous living, freedom from disease and adversity, wealth, health, and none of that. If you spend any time in the the world at all, you know that this is far from the truth. In fact, Jesus promises the opposite. Jesus tells them that they can expect persecution much like he is expecting for himself. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. I'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll unpack it together. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say. But what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father is child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. 
If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his house? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that you would just open our ears to hear the truth that you have for us today and our eyes to see and our minds to understand this, uh, this message about the Christian life and what we are to expect when we're out in the world preaching the gospel for your glory. It's in your name we pray, amen. So if you remember back last week, DJ talked about verse 15 really setting the tone of the book moving forward. Jesus basically says that those people who reject the gospel will be worse off than those that perished in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now it's from Matthew 10, 14. It says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet, and when you leave that house or town, truly I say to you, be more bearable in that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now imagine for a second what it would be like to hearing that as a disciple. And how would you respond to this if you heard this? If you heard Jesus telling you that rejecting the message would be worse than being destroyed by fire from heaven, how would you think about that? Doesn't it make you ask how important evangelism was to Jesus? How important it was spreading of the gospel? He's telling them that when you go there and you leave, they're in danger of punishment if they don't respond to it. And do we give evangelism that same priority here? Do we think about it the same way? What are we willing to risk to go to other nations? And why don't we evangelize here? When we come in contact with unbelievers or people that, don't, that may seem like they're unbelievers. Well, I know in some cases it might be fear uh, it might be other things, too, that we, that we are especially prevalent to hear, like busyness. Sometimes it's, I'm too busy to take the time out to talk to somebody. Sometimes there's other excuses, like I'm going from one place to another. But in a lot of cases, it's fear. Not the same kind of fear, but it could be fear of rejection, fear of mocking. But if we look... When we look in verse 16, we see that Jesus says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus is sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And this isn't the first time in Matthew we've, we've seen Jesus refer to sheep. Just a few passages before, we, uh, we can contrast this passage with that where Dave preached when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus here is commissioning the disciples to go out and take part in the harvest, to take the gospel out to these people, to bring his sheep back into the fold or into the fold through the gospel proclamation. And this is not new to God. God is always concerned for the health and safety of his flock. God loves his sheep. And here's what he says to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. 
because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's sending these men out and all of us to the sheep on a rescue mission to rescue them from the wolves. So the first thing we should understand is that there's wolves. And that persecution is what we're being promised by God in fulfilling this mission. He is telling them they're going out among wolves, usually described as ravenous. Luke says lambs, lambs sent to the midst of wolves, and the difference between lambs and sheep is that sheep are lambs that are over a year. So in Luke's case, it gives you an even stronger sense of a helpless sheep. It's a little lamb, a tiny little lamb. And they're going into the midst of these ravenous wolves. And when you look through the Bible, this is usually how wolves are described, ravenous. And we should think about this for a second. What do ravenous wolves eat? Well, if you put sheep in the middle of them, they eat the sheep, right? In sheep, what about those? Sheep are mostly maligned from the pulpit, so I'm going to try not to do that today. You usually hear that sheep are these really, really stupid animals. They, uh, they can't find their own food. They can't find their own water. They're usually really prone to disease. All that might be true. But if you look in the Urban Dictionary, basically it says that sheep are unoriginal, stupid animals who mindlessly follow someone else. I wouldn't suggest getting any theology from Urban Dictionary, dictionary, but it is a good definition. So from a worldly standpoint, sheep are people that follow, don't, I'm sorry, that follow someone else, implying that if you're not a sheep, you don't follow anybody, which then you're following somebody else, right? But really, what the sheep are in need of a shepherd. This is the difference. The sheep need a shepherd. He's the one that protects his flock. And in the midst of persecution that Jesus is promising, this is a great comfort. Without the shepherd, sheep are just wolf food. But if we look on, He also gives us the character of the sheep. How are the sheep to act when they're sent among the wolves? And he describes us as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And you can see that in the last half of verse 16. So wise is also translated as clever or discerning, sometimes shrewd. But the idea here is clever enough to avoid harm and wise enough that they're innocent or guileless. Guileless means innocent without deception. And John Calvin, when talking about this, describes it this way. They are shrewd enough to avoid danger, but not so shrewd that we avoid the clear proclamation of the gospel when the opportunity presents itself. So we shouldn't just allow ourselves to be persecuted. And Jesus will say more about that later on in this passage. But we're going to be surrounded by danger. That's where we're being dropped into. 
American Sniper has a passage where little Chris Kyle is sitting at the dinner table and his dad is telling him basically that what you really want to be is not a sheep because sheep don't even know they're in danger. That's what he tells them. The sheep are mindlessly unaware of the danger that surrounds them. The really cool thing to be is a sheep dog. So sheep dogs use their natural aggression to protect the flock. Which we just got done with the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't remember seeing anything about using our natural aggression to protect the flock. But that's what Chris Kyle's dad tells him. We contrast that with this young man who was killed last November, John Chow, who was killed trying to take the gospel to the Sentinel Indians. He's 26 years old. If you remember the story, John Chow goes to these Indians, the Sentinel Indians between east of India, south of Myanmar, and there he goes to reach these Sentinel Indians, which has been his lifelong pursuit. And in the midst of that, he goes there and they shoot him with an arrow. He retreats and heals and he goes back there and he takes things like pliers to pluck out the next arrow he's shot with. He takes a Bible and he stashes things and then he approaches these Sentinel Indians. Some other believers that have a fishing boat actually drop him off. They won't go any further, so he kayaks towards the shore. And he throws fish at these Sentinel Indians to try and make an inroad. And they kill him. They shoot him full of arrows, and they drag him onto the shore. His body's recovered. We have the, the luxury of having a diary where he talks about how he doesn't want to die, but the gospel's worth it. It's worth his life. And there was a lot of talk amongst the Christian community and the non-Christian community about whether he was wise or foolish. Well, I don't know if he was wise, but he was courageous and he was convicted and he was convinced that the gospel was worth it. And he gave his life to do that. And this is exactly what scripture says we can expect because we're believers and we're proclaiming the gospel. The fishermen that took him there eventually were arrested for helping him go to take the, the gospel to the Sentinelese. And they should have expected that too. Jesus says in John 15, 18, that if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. And can we ignore the other missionaries who have gone to the graves at the hands of the people who ultimately came to Christ begging for forgiveness for their murder of them? In him, John Piper says about John Chow, mankind like the Sentinelese and the Aramongo peoples who also killed their first missionaries only to repent 25 years later did not receive the truth-bringing messenger. In fact, we so hated Jesus' message that we tortured him to death through crucifixion. Yet, the scandalous message of the Bible is that Jesus intentionally laid down his life for his people and rose from the dead to offer forgiveness and fullness of joy to all believe in him. That is worth it. The Aramanga people killed the first missionary that came to them, Reverend John Williams, in the early 1800s, and they ate him. They were cannibals. 
But more missionaries returned and they evangelized them. 170 years later, the tribe had a ceremony where they presented a gift to John Williams' family in an emotional ceremony asking for forgiveness for killing John Williams. John Piper goes on to put this call out there. I call thousands of you to take their place. Let the replacements flood the world. We do not seek death. We seek the everlasting joy of the world, including our enemies. And this should be something we are diligently praying for each and every day, that we would have the faith to believe it's worth it to take the gospel to all the nations. John Chow died evangelizing a pagan nation, and I don't think he'll have to answer that for, for that in heaven. But will we say, whatever the cost, it is worth it, Lord, that your name will be known among the nations, even if it costs us our lives? So if we look back at this passage, we'll see in verse 17 that the di disciples also will face religious persecution. They will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And we see that this is probably local courts or the Sanhedrin. But Jesus' point is that they'll face persecution from the Jews. But he goes on to say that they'll also face persecution from the secular governors and kings to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So, so far he's saying they're going to face religious persecution. They'll also face persecution from secular Gentile governments and kings. And in verse 21, which we'll get to in a minute, we see the same language that will face persecution even from our families. This is not new. We see examples of this persecution and division all over the Bible, especially in Acts. And if you look in Acts 4, in verse 2, it was talking about Peter and John before the council where they were told to stop preaching. It says, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. So to respond to this, they put Peter and John in jail, and they tell them to stop preaching. But while they're in jail, they can't stop themselves, and 5,000 men come to faith. So they go to them again and tell them, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but this is Peter and John's answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. It goes on to say, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So obedience, what they see out of that is people coming to faith and this shaken as the Spirit of God descends. In Acts 7, we all know the story of Stephen where he gets stoned. Stoned. Stephen is described in there, that passage sorry, as having the face of an angel as he's getting stoned. Full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. <coughs> Excuse me. That's 755 on. And this is why we shouldn't fear persecution. 
just like Stephen, we can trust the Holy Spirit to sustain us in our hour of need. And even in this passage, if you look on in verse 19, it says, whenever they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And this is again why we don't have to fear. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in our hour of need, God doesn't just promise us persecution, but he promises us strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can expect to be strengthened and sustained because God promises it. The Father will speak through you in your hour of need. So why does persecution happen? Well, persecution happens because the gospel is true. The gospel is true. We are all separated from God. And God delivered his son and hung our sin on him. But if we believe, we are saved. And Nick Ripkin, missionary and author of Insanity of God, is telling this story about this interviewer who goes to these Russian Christians who are facing extreme persecution by the communists. And the interviewer goes to them, and they gather together, and the the Christians start telling the interviewer all these stories about persecution in Russia. And this interviewer, he, he really can't believe what he's hearing. And he stops them at some point, and he tells them, why haven't you written about this? Why haven't you, like, written a movie, written it all down, wrote books? Why haven't you written songs about your persecution? The townspeople are silent, and one of the brothers says, Sir, how often do you take your son to a window in your home and say, Look, boys, the sun has come up in the east. The interviewer said, Well, I've never done that. That would be foolish. The sun always comes up in the east. And this man says to him, sir, that is why we talk little of our persecution and suffering. That is why we have not written our stories down. That is why we have not made a movie. Our pure persecution is always with us. It comes as we walk with Jesus. It's like the sun coming up in the east. And he asks them, when did you stop reading your Bible? Because everything you need to know about our persecution is written down in there. Christian persecution is neither good nor bad. It just is. This is what we're promised when we take the gospel. Luckily, we're also promised a lot of other things as well. The IMB says, the comfortable experiences of Christians in the West has actually been an anomaly in this regard. So this comfortable experience of taking the gospel to our neighbors and friends is an anomaly Elsewhere in the world, when you take the gospel to other people, people persecute you. They may imprison you. They may torture you. They may kill you. And I have not felt any kind of persecution like that. I am in danger of being mocked on social media, like someone unfriending me, maybe a Twitter war breaking out, somebody rejecting my faith, but I am not in danger of someone killing me mostly not in danger of someone killing me for my faith. But the IMB says that's changing. Persecution in the West is spreading. And that's interesting because if it changes, 
Well, there's an opportunity here to join in the baptism of suffering that the rest of the world has been experiencing since the church was birthed. So let me ask you, do you regularly consider your brothers and sisters facing persecution? And if you do, are you praying for them? And what are you praying for them? Are you praying that they face less persecution? Or that they face more? Do you intentionally pray And if you do, thank you. In fact, I'd ask you that you could encourage the rest of us to to remember that as well and remind us to be prayerful about missionaries and people spreading the gospel abroad. Thankfully, this church is a church that supports several missionaries already. And we routinely have missionaries here telling us of their plans to go into dangerous places. We need to be awake, friends. We need to be watchful, and we need to be prayerful. John Bloom from Desiring God published a blog. A blog. He didn't publish a blog at all. A blog. Many of this in May of this year, and he tells a story of a family that moved to the United States from a closed country. And when they got here, what they found is that the absence of persecution had made us sleepy. They said that the Christians here are dozing. And then they went back to their country. We are not experiencing persecution like other people are. But according to the IMB, we may. And if we don't, then our children will. And if they don't, then their children certainly, surely will. Gallup reported that over the last two decades, church attendance has fallen 30% in the last 20 years, while the nuns, or no religious affiliation, has doubled. America is becoming a less Christian nation. And that may not be a bad thing. Doesn't it logically follow that if we haven't faced persecution and Christianity has suffered, that if we face Christian, if we face persecution for our faith, Christianity will bloom? What Jesus tells us is the proclamation of the gospel is what makes the difference. If we're not facing persecution, how diligently are we proclaiming the gospel where God has planted us? So if we look in verse 21, we'll see that we're going to face family persecution. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated for all, by all, for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is the promise. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Your family will be torn apart, brother against brothers, children against parents, all because some will choose the world and some will choose Christ. And you will be hated because they first hated him. But friends, we once hated him too. Ephesians 2, 1 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It goes on to say, but God, 
one of my favorite phrases in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, you have been saved. This is the gospel that we take, nothing of ourselves, everything of Christ. He is the one that saves. He is the one that keeps the ones he saves. And those are the ones that will endure to the end. If Christ has you, you cannot pull yourself out of his hand. He will keep you. He will sustain you. You will be sustained to the end. God will sustain them even if their end comes. At the end of a spear like Jim Elliott, his three companions, or on the end of an arrow like John Chow. And this is the same thing we have seen throughout time. I mentioned Acts 7, Stephen being stoned and being sustained in faith to the end. And we have all kinds of evidence of the church of this. We've got the diary of Perpetua, a 23-year-old woman living in Carthage in 200 AD, writing in her prison diary just after giving birth. In fact, the baby is so new, she's praising God for easing the pain in her breasts because she can't nurse. And she writes, when I was still with my companions, my father and his affection for me, endeavoring to upset me, my arguments goes to her and pleads for her for the sake of her child. And he says, just don't call yourself a Christian. And she says, Father, do you see this water pot over there? Can it be called by any other name than what it is? No. So also I cannot call myself anything else than what I am, a Christian. Then her father, furious at her words, threw himself upon her and tried to pluck out her eyes. Then he left, and she went with a group of other people into the lion's den. Perpetua eventually was run through with a sword, and when she was struck down, she was struck down by a gladiator who was inexperienced, and he missed the first time. Her last act on this earth was to gently guide his hand to her neck so he could kill her quickly. You see how our shepherd does not leave us alone? Even in our final moments, he promises to sustain us and care for us. It says he will give us the words we need in our greatest hour, and he will sustain us. You are promised to be saved. You are promised to endure to the end. And as we've talked about this, this persecution doesn't end with, with Rome. It's happening even now. In fact, as Christianity spread, so has the persecution. The 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of humankind for Christians. More martyrs were killed in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined. And persecution is not pleasing, friends, but it is sanctifying. We don't need to ask for it because Jesus promises that if we proclaim the gospel, that's going to be our reality. We're going to get it whether we want it or not. But he also promises to sustain us. And he gives us an answer to persecution, and the persecution answer is proclamation. The good news of the gospel. 
How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who preach the good news. We have the good news. We've been saved by the good news. And we need to take the good news. This includes taking the good news even if we're flogged in the synagogues or even if we're dragged in front of the governors and kings. Even if our family gives us over to death, that doesn't change the good news. It doesn't change that he will never leave us or forsake us either. In verse 23, it says that we can flee, which is a good idea if we can do it. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. So we should remember that as they hated him first, so they will hate us. The answer to a secular country is not a Christian government. It's faithful disciples. It's gospel proclamation. This is the answer to every problem that the world has. Jesus. Jesus gives us license to flee if we can. That's the wisdom of the serpent. Excuse me, serpent. But he doesn't do it to extend our lives. He doesn't do it so we can find safety and live comfortably. Living out the rest of our lives in comfort and ease. He does it so we can proclaim the gospel one more time. Preaching the gospel one more time, that's the reason to flee. To deliver the gospel to the next group of people. Innocent as doves, guileless, with no deception, we go to the next people and preach Jesus. The answer to persecution is the proclamation. Because gospel is rooted in the identity of Christ, the incarnate Son of God. He is the one that will preserve you. He is the one that will save them. He will sustain you in your hour of need and give you the words you need because he has given you his spirit. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may, be also, may also be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart. Though our greater self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentarily, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and following. Beyond all comparison, friends, that is the reward worth dying for. May it also be a reward that we risk for. Risk being ridiculed, slandered, mocked. Risk being persecuted. Risk being murdered for. It's worth that and everything else. 
and Christ himself died to deliver it to us. May we be so bold and not lose heart, but instead find strength in his promises and presence. Let's pray.